Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep, quiet stories and meditations to help you find a little peace at bedtime or anytime. It's been a very warm week here on the mountain. We've had friends visiting, and we've spent a lot of time down by the creek cooling off. Northern California can get very hot in July and August, but it's a nice dry heat, and since we're only about 30 miles from the Pacific Ocean, the temperatures cool down in the evening. This time of year, it's great to leave all the windows open overnight, and my friends have actually been just sleeping outside on the deck and watching the shooting stars. Before the moon rises, you can see the entire Milky Way. And after it's up, all the hillsides just glow in the moonlight. I feel so fortunate to be able to spend summers up here, and I just love sharing it with my friends. I want to thank Christina, Benjamin, and Tyler for supporting the podcast by joining the Patreon this week. If the podcast helps you sleep and you have the means, I would really appreciate your support, too. You can do that by subscribing to the ad-free or extended versions of the podcast through the Patreon, or you can buy a sleepy audiobook for just $5.50 on listentosleep.com, or you can just leave a tip. Your support, along with that of the advertisers, helps me continue to make two free episodes of Listen to Sleep every week to help folks all over the world get a little better sleep at night and a little more peace during the day. You can search and listen to every episode and find all the ways you can support the podcast at listentosleep.com, and there's a link in the show notes. This week's story is another Norse tale about Thor and the gods of Asgard. Okay, let's take a deep breath. In. And out. Letting go of the day. Just feeling the weight of your body sinking deep down into the mattress. Another deep breath in. And out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. No one to be. This is your time. Quiet time. One more deep breath in. And out. And out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. Thor's Duel 
In the days that are past, a wonderful race of horses pastured in the meadows of heaven, steeds more beautiful and more swift than any which the world knows today. There was Rimfaxi, the black, sleek horse who drew the chariot of night across the sky and scattered the dew from his foaming bit. There was Glad, behind whose flying wheels sped the swift chariot of day. His mane was yellow with gold, and from it beamed light, which made the whole world bright. Then there were the two shining horses of the sun, Arvakur the watchful, and Alsvith the rapid, and the nine fierce battle-chargers of the nine Valkyries, who bore the bodies of fallen heroes from the field of fight to the blessedness of Valhalla. Each of the gods had his own glorious steed, with such pretty names as Gold Mane, Silver Top, Lightfoot, and Precious Stone. These galloped with their masters over clouds and through the blue air, blowing flame from their nostrils and glinting sparks from their fiery eyes. The Aesir would have been poor indeed without their faithful mounts, and few would be the stories to tell in which these noble creatures do not bear at least a part. But best of all the horses of heaven was Sleipnir, the eight-legged steed of Father Odin who, because he was so well supplied with sturdy feet, could gallop faster over land and sea than any horse which ever lived. Sleipnir was snow-white and beautiful to see, and Odin was very fond and proud of him, you may be sure. He loved to ride forth upon his good horse's back to meet whatever adventure might be upon the way. And sometimes they had wild times together. One day, Odin galloped off from Asgard upon Sleipnir, straight towards Jutenheim and the land of giants for it was long since Allfather had been to the cold country, and he wished to see how its mountains and ice rivers looked. Now, as he galloped along the wild road, he met a huge giant standing beside his giant steed. Who goes there? cried the giant gruffly blocking the way so that Odin could not pass. You with the golden helmet, who are you who ride so famously through air and water? 
For I have been watching you from this mountaintop. Truly, that is a fine horse which you bestride. There is no finer horse in all the world, boasted Odin. Have you not heard of Sleipnir, the pride of Asgard? I will match him against any of your big, clumsy, giant horses. Ho! rounded the giant angrily. An excellent horse he is, your little Sleipnir. But I warrant he is no match for my Gulfaxi here. Come, let us try a race, and at its end I shall pay you for your insult to our horses of Utenheim. So saying, the giant, whose ugly name was Hrungnir, sprang upon his horse and spurred straight at Odin in the narrow way. Odin turned and galloped back towards Asgard with all his might, for not only must he prove his horse's speed, but he must save himself and Sleipnir from the anger of the giant, who was one of the fiercest and wickedest of all his fierce and wicked race. How the eight slender legs of Sleipnir twinkled through the blue sky. How his nostrils quivered and shot forth fire and smoke. Like a flash of lightning, he darted across the sky. And the giant horse rumbled and thumped along behind, like the thunder following the flash. Hi, hi, yelled the giant. After them, Gulfaxi. And when we have overtaken the two, we will crush their bones between us. Speed, speed, my Sleipnir, shouted Odin. Speed, good horse, or you will never again feed in the dewy pastures of Asgard with the other horses. Speed, speed, and bring us safe within the gates. Well, Sleipnir understood what his master said, and well he knew the way. Already the rainbow bridge was in sight, and with Heimdall the watchman prepared to let them in. His sharp eyes had spied them from afar, and had recognized the flash of Sleipnir's white body and of Odin's golden helmet. Gallop and thud. The twelve hoofs were upon the bridge, the giant horse close behind the other. At last, Hrungnir knew where he was, and into what danger he was rushing. He pulled at the reins and tried to stop his great beast, but Gulfaxi was tearing along at too terrible a speed. 
he could not stop. Heimdall threw open the gates of Asgard, and in galloped Sleipnir with his precious burden, safe. Close upon them bolted in Golfaxi, bearing his giant master, puffing and purple in the face from hard riding and anger. Cling, clang, Heimdall had shut and barred the gates, and there was the giant, prisoned in the castle of his enemies. Now, the Aesir were courteous folks, unlike the giants, and they were not anxious to take advantage of a single enemy thus thrown into their power. They invited him to enter Valhalla with them, to rest and sup before the long journey of his return. Thor was not present, so they filled for the giant the great cups which Thor was wont to drain, for they were nearest to the giant's eyes. But you may remember that Thor was famous for his power to drink deep. Hrungnir's head was not so steady. Thor's draft was too much for him. He soon lost his wits, of which he had but few. And a witless giant is a most dreadful creature. He raged like a madman and threatened to pick up Valhalla like a toy house and carry it home with him to Jutenheim. He said he would pull Asgard to pieces and slay all the gods except Freya the Fair and Sif, the golden-haired wife of Thor whom he would carry off like little dolls for his toy house. The Aesir knew not what to do, for Thor and his hammer were not there to protect them, and Asgard seemed in danger with this enemy within its very walls. Hrungnir called for more and more mead, which Freya alone dared to bring and set before him. And the more he drank, the fiercer he became. At last, the Aesir could bear no longer his insults and his violence. Besides, they feared that there would be no more mead left for their banquets if this unwelcome visitor should keep Freya pouring out for him Thor's mighty goblets. They bade Heimdall blow his horn and summon Thor. And this Heimdall did in a trice. Now rumbling and thundering in his chariot of goats came Thor. He dashed into the hall, hammer in hand, and stared in amazement at the unwieldy guest 
whom he found there. A giant feasting in Asgard Hall, he roared. This is a sight which I never saw before. Who gave the insolent fellow leave to sit in my place? And where does fair Freya wait upon him, as if he were some noble guest at a feast of the high gods? I will slay him at once. And he raised the hammer to keep his word. Thor's coming had sobered the giant somewhat, for he knew that this was no enemy to be trifled with. He looked at Thor sulkily and said, I am Odin's guest. He invited me to this banquet, and therefore I am under his protection. You shall be sorry that you accepted this invitation, cried Thor, balancing his hammer and looking very fierce. For Seif had sobbed in his ear how the giant had threatened to carry her away. Hrungnir now rose to his feet and faced Thor boldly, for the sound of Thor's gruff voice had restored his scattered wits. I am here alone and without weapons, he said. You would do ill to slay me now. It would be little like the noble Thor, of whom we hear tales, to do such a thing. The world will count you braver if you let me go and meet me later in single combat, where we shall both be fairly armed. Thor dropped the hammer to his side. Your words are true, he said, for he was a just and honorable fellow. I was foolish to leave my shield and stone club at home, went on the giant. If I had my arms with me, we would fight at this moment. But I name you a coward if you slay me now, an unarmed enemy. Your words are just, quoth Thor again. I have never before been challenged by any foe, I will meet you, Hrungnir, at your stone city, midway between heaven and earth. And there we will fight a duel to see which of us is the better fellow. Hrungnir departed for stone city in Jutenheim, and great was the excitement of the other giants when they heard of the duel which one of their number was to fight with Thor, the deadliest enemy of their race. We must be sure that Rungnir wins the victory, they cried. 
It will never do to have Asgard victorious in the first duel that we have fought with her champion. We will make a second hero to aid Hrungnir. All the giants set to work with a will. They brought great buckets of moist clay, and heaping them into a huge mound, molded the mass with their giant hands as a sculptor does his image, until they had made a man of clay, an immense dummy, nine miles high and three miles wide. Now we must make him live, we must put a heart into him, they cried. But they could find no heart big enough until they thought of taking that of a mare, and that fitted nicely. Hrungnir's heart was a three-cornered piece of hard stone. His head also was stone, and likewise the great shield which he held before him when he stood outside of Stone City waiting for Thor to come to the duel. Over his shoulder he carried his club, and that also was of stone, the kind from which wet stones are made, hard and terrible. By his side stood the huge clay man, Mukuralfi, and they were a dreadful sight to see, these two vast bodies whom Thor must encounter. But at the very first sight of Thor, who came thundering to the place with swift Tialfi, his servant, the timid mare's heart in the man of clay throbbed with fear. He trembled so that his knees knocked together, and his nine miles of height began to rock unsteadily. Thialfi ran up to Hrungnir and began to mock him, saying, You are a careless giant. I fear you do not know what a mighty enemy has come to fight you. You hold your shield in front of you, but that will serve you nothing. Thor has seen this. He has only to go down into the earth, and he can attack you conveniently from beneath your very feet. At this terrifying news, Hrungnir hastened to throw his shield upon the ground and to stand upon it, so that he might be safe from Thor's understroke. He grasped his heavy club with both hands and waited. He had not long to wait. There came a blinding flash of lightning and a peal of crashing thunder. Thor had cast his hammer into space. Hrungnir raised his club with both hands and hurled it against the hammer which he saw flying towards him. The two mighty weapons met in the air with an 
ear-splitting shock. Hard as was the stone of the giant's club, it was like glass under the power of Mjolnir. The club was dashed into pieces. Some fragments fell upon the earth, and these, they say, are the rocks from which whetstones are made unto this day. They are so hard that men use them to sharpen knives and axes and scythes. One splinter of the hard stone struck Thor himself in the forehead, with so fierce a blow that he fell forward upon the ground. And Tialfi feared that he was killed. But Mjolnir, not even stopped in its course by meeting the giant's club, sped straight to Hrungnir and crushed his stony skull, so that he fell forward over Thor, and his foot lay on the fallen hero's neck. And that was the end of the giant, whose head and heart were of stone. Meanwhile, Thialfi the Swift had fought with the man of clay, and had found little trouble in toppling him to earth. For the mare's cowardly heart and his great body gave him little strength to meet Thor's faithful servant. And the trembling limbs of Mukralfi soon yielded to Tialfi's hearty blows. He fell like an unsteady tower of blocks, and his brittle bulk shivered into a thousand fragments. Thialfi ran to his master and tried to raise him. The giant's great foot still rested upon his neck, and all Thialfi's strength could not move it away. Swift as the wind, he ran for the other Asir, and when they heard that great Thor, their champion, had fallen and seemed like one dead, they came rushing to the spot in horror and confusion. Together, they all attempted to raise Hrungnir's foot from Thor's neck, that they might see whether their hero lived or no. But all their efforts were in vain. The foot was not to be lifted by a seer might. At this moment, a second hero appeared upon the scene. It was Magni, the son of Thor himself. Magni, who was but three days old, yet already in his babyhood, he was almost as big as a giant, and had nearly the strength of his father. This wonderful youngster came running to the place where his father lay, surrounded by a group of sad-faced and despairing gods. When Magni saw what was the matter, he seized Hrungnir's enormous foot 
in both hands, heaved his broad young shoulders, and in a moment Thor's neck was free of the weight which was crushing it. Best of all, it proved that Thor was not dead, only stunned by the blow of the giant's club and by his fall. He stirred, sat up painfully, and looked around him at the group of eager friends. Who lifted the weight off my neck? he asked. It was I, father, answered Magni modestly. Thor clasped him in his arms and hugged him tight, beaming with pride and gratitude. Truly, you are a fine child, he cried, one to make glad your father's heart. Now, as a reward for your first great deed, you shall have a gift from me. The swift horse of Frungnir shall be yours, that same Gofaxi who was the beginning of all this trouble. You shall ride Gulfaxi. Only a giant steed is strong enough to bear the weight of such an infant prodigy as you, my Magni. Now, this word did not wholly please Father Odin, for he thought that a horse so excellent ought to belong to him. He took Thor aside and argued that, but for him, there would have been no duel and no horse to win. Thor answered simply, True, Father Odin, you began this trouble, but I have fought your battle, destroyed your enemy, and suffered great pain for you. Surely, I have won the horse fairly and may give it to whom I choose. My son, who has saved me, deserves a horse as good as any. Yet, as you have proved, even Gulfaxi is scarce a match for your Sleipnir. Verily, Father Odin, you should be content with the best. Odin said no more. Now Thor went home to his cloud palace in Thrudvang, and there he was healed of all his hurts, except that which the splinter of stone had made in his forehead. For the stone was embedded so fast that it could not be taken out, and Thor suffered sorely thereafter. Seif, his yellow-haired wife, was in despair, knowing not what to do. At last she bethought her of the wise woman Grua, who had skill in all manner of herbs and witch charms. Seif sent for Grua, who had skill in all manner of herbs and witch charms. Seif sent for Grua, who lived all alone and sad because her husband, Urvandil, had disappeared, and she knew not whither. 
Grua came to Thor and, standing beside his bed while he slept, sang strange songs and gently waved her hands over him. Immediately, the stone in his forehead began to loosen, and Thor opened his eyes. The stone is loosening, the stone is coming out, he cried. How can I reward you, gentle dame? Prithee, what is your name? My name is Grua, answered the woman, weeping. Wife of Orvandil, who is lost. Now then, I can reward you, kind Grua, cried Thor, for I can bring you tidings of your husband. I met him in the cold country, in Jutenheim, the land of the giants, which, you know, I sometimes visit for a bit of good hunting. It was by Elivagar's icy river that I met Orvandil, and there was no way for him to cross. So I put him in an iron basket, and myself bore him over the flood. <sighs> but that is cold land. His feet stuck out through the meshes of the basket, and when we reached the other side, one of his toes was frozen stiff. So I broke it off and tossed it up in the sky that it might become a star. To prove that what I relate is true, Grua, there is a new star shining over us at this very moment. Look. From this day it shall be known to men as Orvandil's toe. Do not weep any longer. After all, the loss of a toe is a little thing, and I promise that your husband shall soon return to you, safe and sound, but for that small token of his wanderings in the land where visitors are not welcome. At these joyful tidings, poor Grua was so overcome that she fainted, and that put an end to the charm which she was weaving to loosen the stone from Thor's forehead. The stone was not yet wholly free, and thenceforth it was in vain to attempt its removal. Thor must always wear the splinter in his forehead. Grua could never forgive herself for the carelessness which had thus made her skill vain to help one to whom she had reason to be so grateful. Now, because of the bit of whetstone in Thor's forehead, folk of olden times were very careful how they used a whetstone, and especially they knew that they must not throw or drop one on the floor. For when they did so, the splinter in Thor's forehead was jarred, and the good Asa suffered great.
pain. Good night.